And welcome back to another episode of Doable Discipleship. My name is Doug Jones. And I'm Jason Whelan. And this is a Saddleback Church podcast designed to help you deepen your friendship with God, or as we sometimes call it, the show that helps you grow. Why were you giving me that look of, what are you doing? No, I wasn't, it wasn't a what am I doing. It was, uh, oh, that's the uh, intro tagline. Oh, yeah, the one that you said wrong in the last episode. When you usurped my place. Well, you told me to, you know, to kick it off. So anyway, to today, uh, I got a couple important things to tell you. The first one is, we're kicking off an Easter special, a three-part Easter extravaganza, if you will. That's what we're calling it, a three-part Easter extravaganza. Uh, so, some, somewhat informally, yes. <laughs> um, but we're going to... You, you told us that you loved the Christmas special that we did with the dramatic reading of the Christmas story uh, with some commentary and just some cool... I think there was a comment Christmas. that even said, more readings, please. Yeah, more of this, please. So, uh, <laughs> wish granted. We're going to be doing another dramatic reading of the Easter story. We'll go all the way from the upper room and the, the Last Supper up through the resurrection and even the ascension of Jesus and go through that entire uh, that entire narrative. It's going to be really, really fun and really, really good. Um, so stay tuned for that. That kicks off next week. and It'll be three parts long. Today, we've got a very special guest, Danny Duchesne, who's going to be joining us in just a minute. Uh, he's a pastor on staff here at Saddleback, an all-around incredible dude. And he has got one of the coolest stories I've ever heard of life change. Mm -hmm. Um, So Danny's going to be talking to us today about what it means to be a follower of Jesus no matter where you are. There are no excuses. You are never outside of the kingdom. You can be a follower of Jesus no matter what context you find yourself in. And Danny's story is going to prove that point really beautifully. So stick around. Well, Danny, thanks so much for being here with us today. Uh, it's my honor. Real privilege. Uh, I'll just come out and say it. You have, at least for me, one of the most just jaw-dropping, awesome stories of transformation that I've personally ever heard before. And mm-hmm. I know a lot of our listeners probably haven't heard that. Would you mind just starting mm-hmm. off by just telling us a little bit about your background, how you came to know Christ, and just some of the the, the big high points of your story? Sure. When I was 16 years old, my parents were arrested in Mexico for trying to smuggle cocaine. And that event uh, impacted me very harshly, and I ended up in a new town, a new school, a new family, and uh, I responded to that with drug addiction. The, mm. the uh, anger and the fear, uh, what's going on with my mom in prison, and just the anger of how, they, how this could happen. Um, I, I used drugs to numb the pain, mm. and um, really it became to me an adopted identity at the age of 16, where I decided if you guys are going to smuggle cocaine, then I'm going to be involved with drugs too. Mm-hmm. And so I plunged all in. And that followed a course of about three years. And the end of that um, was the death of two men. I was involved with a murder mm-hmm. in which two men were killed in a knife fight mm-hmm. and was arrested soon after and was sentenced to prison for 50 years to life. Never wow. expected to be released. Mm. And while I was in the county jail and court proceedings were still going forward, there were a lot of people from local churches and um, in particular, the mother of one of the friends that I was using a lot of drugs with. Um, they all began to come see me on a weekly basis, sharing the love of God with me. And in spite of the fact that I would continue saying that didn't apply to me, it's too late for me. Hmm. They continued to persist to share, no, look, here's <laughs> some stories from the Bible where 
Hmm. Other people ran into some similar trouble as you, and God still had a plan for their life and hmm. wanted to take their life and make something uh, to redeem it. Was it was it mm-hmm. was that resistance that you had from a place of shame, or was it from a place of stubbornness, or what do you think it was that kind of made you resistant to that? Shame and guilt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, shame's a good word. A lot of guilt and the feeling that um, that I had already burned too many bridges, mm-hmm. and quite frankly, at that time, I was pretty numb to any feeling of hope. I was numb to any feeling that I could be something other than a drug addict. Hmm. And I didn't know how to trust. I had the last three years, I was somebody that was untrustworthy. Hmm. And the people who were my closest friends, if I had turned my back on them, things would end up missing. So Hmm. it's not like I knew how to trust or had that feeling inside of me that there was a heavenly father that could be completely dependent on. My emotional rhythms were not used to that. Hmm. However, the um, several people, continued to come into that jail on a regular basis and never gave up. And the message that it really wasn't going to depend on me, but that really God would come inside and he would do something on the inside of me and make my life based on something internally and not based on external things like cars and who I knew and who I was going out with or how much drugs I had, which is what I was used to. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So you gave your life to Christ in prison, mm-hmm. and that is where you began your journey as a disciple. Mm-hmm. So could you talk a little bit about what are some tools that that you used to help to foster your growth, even from prison? Well, I think right off the top, the relationships that I mentioned were pretty important. The fact that I really didn't go through it alone. Mm, Um, I was never really an isolated person where um, maybe we watch movies and we hear stories, what prison is like, but really I was surrounded by good people, Mm. uh, which included other inmates that Mm -hmm. were farther along as a Christian than myself Mm -hmm. by decades. Mm. Um, And we're also talking about chaplains and volunteers that go inside of prisons to serve inside. And we had a um, most of my time inside, we really had good churches. There mm. were um, there was discipleship. There was uh, chaplains that had a specific plan of growth for their church, and they thought of their flock on the inside the same as we would on the outside. Yeah. Another pretty, what was very important for me was getting um, a lifestyle of daily Bible reading very early. So in my early twenties, I was. Um, one of the nice tools I had is somebody shared with me that there's usually 31 days of the month and there's 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs. Oh, so early in my life, I began reading a chapter of <clears throat> Proverbs a day that became my daily devotional for many years. Hmm. Um, daily time of prayer, the chaplain where I was at, um, for most of my youth and my, the entire time of my twenties would, um, prayer was a big part of what we did. Uh, weekly prayer meetings, and and uh, he always taught on having a daily daily time of prayer, and had the whole church praying for an hour a day. Mm-hmm. Um, so those were some pretty important early yeah. tools that God put into my life that have had long term impact. 
Yeah, those are formative. Mm. That's really cool. So you had mm. some really critical mentors then along the journey that helped you out. Anybody mm-hmm. stick out in your mind as someone who really came alongside you and, and really was a particular help to you? Chaplain Ruffin uh, became to me a spiritual father. He was the chaplain um, th- that I mentioned throughout my 20s yeah. at a particular prison. There were also um, others. There was Carol Ryman, who um, I just saw a couple months ago in Albuquerque. She mm. was my spiritual <laughs> mother. And mm. we stayed close the in, uh, throughout my life. She was the one that um, came into the county jail mm. when I was 18 years old. Mm. And there was a man named Jim Allen who was um, just a member of a local church. And there was a program at that time that matched local church members with inmates in a, their local prisons and invited them just to visit them mm. once a month and encourage them and write them a letter once a month. Mm. And he signed up for that. And somebody signed me up for it. I didn't even sign up for it. Actually, his <laughs> wife signed him up for it. And I think someone else signed me up for it. So we didn't even ask for it. <laughs> but, like, well, here we are. <laughs> but um, the Christian ministry paired us, and he came to visit me one Friday. And we connected. He was an older gentleman who was a um, paraplegic mm. and kind of looking for Christian ministry in his life. And we connected in such a, a strong way that he began to visit me every Friday. Mm. And he came to see me every Friday for eight years until his health problems kept him from coming in. So every Friday for eight years, Jim Allen came into the prison visiting room and we would, he would buy dinner out of the vending machines and, (laughs) and, uh, he just, he didn't pump, um, Bible study. He didn't pump, um, he wasn't the guy that came in with all of the answers. He mm. really just came in to know me wow. and just to be with me. Mm. And he became a, a father to me. And that started in my early 20s. So when I mentioned that I really didn't know how to trust, it's not something that I grew up with, having this sense of having a, a trust towards my father. Yeah. And so that translated into my relationship with God. So my early Christianity, I struggled with a lot of doubt. And it was just my internal emotional makeup was not used to trusting someone else and having that that sense of relationship like that. Yeah. And I learned that from Jim Allen. Yeah. He came for every Friday for eight mm. years just to be with me. And uh his feeling towards me was became as a father. Mm. And your ministry began uh in prison as well. You want to talk about what what ministry life looked like for you there? Because you you kind of started to become a leader within Mm -hmm. your prisons. Can you talk a little bit about that? So in my early 20s, we formed a Christian drama ministry that supplemented the chaplain's messages. And he would give us a teaching schedule and we would create short skits and a few times a year, a larger drama drama production with a lot of music. And that was my first ministry. I was 22 years old. And as it turned out, the same fellow I just mentioned, Jim Allen, was a critical part of that because he came into the facility on another day a week and helped to sponsor and um, helped to be someone that enabled that ministry to function. Mm-hmm. On Inside of prison, you have to have either the chaplain or an outside volunteer to come in and help support what you're doing. Mm-hmm. So he was a big part of that. And then that was my first introduction to Christian mm-hmm. ministry. And within a short period of time, they um, asked it if I would lead that ministry. And so I became the leader of the Christian drama ministry. And we had a really good church at that time. And um, there were 
lot of opportunities to use our spiritual gifts and um, to really grow. The chaplain made it part of what he did to to share with his flock on the inside who we are in Christ. Don't don't look at yourself as as just an inmate, or don't look at yourself as just your past, but see yourself as part of the kingdom of God. Hmm. And if it just so happens that you're in prison, then that's where you're part of the kingdom of God. You have yeah. to you have to decide to blossom where you're planted. Hmm. So that message was a big part of what that chaplain was doing. So he fostered and promoted ministry growth. And so I went from drama ministry leader to worship leader, uh, learned to play the guitar and led worship <laughs> for t a decade, hmm. um, was at one time the head of a discipleship program, um, developed and led Christian basic classes that we would call like 101 and 201 and 301 today. Hmm. Um, taught evangelism classes, um, just had a lot of opportunity to do um, different forms of ministry in, on the inside. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. I love the phrase you said a second ago, you have to decide to blossom wherever you're planted. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I love that. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like that it's something that God instilled in you, not only that you believed it, but that you started, you started living that out. Mm -hmm. And God started being able to work through you in that context. Mm -hmm. I love that. So Danny, this may be a tough question to answer, but what do you think your life would look like today if you had never gone to prison, if that event had never happened and you had never gone to prison? And are there any lessons that God taught you that you probably couldn't have learned any other way? Well, so I'm one of the pastors that help with Celebrate Recovery, and in particular Celebrate Recovery inside prisons, and I'm very aware that there are addicts who are lifelong addicts. Mm -hmm. And that's where I was headed. There was I didn't have that internal fortitude to take to take a step back, look at my life and say, this is not working anymore. I think I'll stop using drugs. Yeah. It just was not going to happen for me. So when I talk about being arrested, I call it being a rescued. Mm -hmm. And because I was really rescued by being arrested um, out yeah. of that lifestyle that I was living. And that was um, something that God used to pull me out of a lifestyle where I was just going to continue hurting people mm -hmm. from one crime after the other. And then, of course, the, the terrible crime that I did commit, in which two men lost their life. Um, there's just no recovering from that. That's not something that you look back and say, uh, well, shoot, that was a bad accident. Maybe a, a drunk driving accident could say that, but I cannot say that. Mm -hmm. And so there was... It would be have been impossible for me to go forward in life and and to have a transformed life or a changed life. Even if I stopped using drugs, it was going to be impossible for me to go forward without having a sense of conviction um, and taking responsibility for my crimes. So mm. I think that that message of taking responsibility for my actions. And, you know, the good old fashioned, but good word repentance, mm -hmm. um, to take responsibility and to turn in another direction in life, uh, really it, it took prison. Yeah. It took an arrest for me, but an, also the unconditional love of God is what I experienced through that. Um, like I mentioned before, there was, um, on the in inside of me, the emotional feeling of trust was not there. Having um, that good sense of empathy, 
um, because I feel loved. I can share it with others. That internal sense um, was not there. And prison is like one of those desert experiences where it's going to break you or it's going to mold you into mm. something. And in the, it was in that environment that what would seem like an opposite experience, the love of God is what I experienced there. So mm. normally you would think of prison as a place where you're isolated, you're only going to experience negative uh, experiences, nobody's going to have anything to do with you. But my experience was the opposite to that. In spite of my circumstances and my past, God showed unconditional love to me and people showed unconditional love to me. Mm -hmm. And that formed inside of me this feeling that I could trust others, that, that, I'm, um, that I'm somebody that can be loved and that I can love other people. And, and like we mentioned earlier, that the circumstances of my life do not determine my identity. Mm -hmm. That my identity is in Christ, my identity is how God sees me, and the external circumstances, whether I caused them through my failure or whether they took place through uh, another hurt that I didn't cause, the external circumstances of my life are not the thing that's determining who I am on the inside. So I got to choose repeatedly who I am in Christ in spite of my circumstances. Because mm. um, most inmates wear clothes that are uh, stenciled with the phrase uh, prisoner on mm -hmm. them. So mm -hmm. the, the classic look when you watch movies and things like that. Mm -hmm. So you have to decide every day, in spite of what I'm wearing, in spite of where I'm living, these, these words that are on my clothes and these words that I'm addressed, um, I'm addressed by, by the officers and, and by the staff of the prisons, they are not who I am. I am a prisoner in one sense, physically, but on the inside, I'm God's freed person. Yeah. Mm. So that mm. that environment, it's either going to make you into, you think of yourself like a prisoner, and you think of yourself as the circumstances dictate, or you're constantly doing that spiritual warfare where you're capturing every thought, bringing it captive to what God's word says. Mm. And so in prison, you have, you have to choose to do that, to mm -hmm. decide to um to believe what god says about you in spite of your circumstances yeah. so that is the biggest message that prison mm. uh, helped me with or that god helped me with wow. in the prison yeah yeah <clears throat> like you know it just it brings to mind like when 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 life doesn't go our way our typical response is to just kind of kick and scream and to resent that we're entering into a season that we didn't hope for that we didn't plan for that kind of stuff we get discouraged uh, sometimes we respond with anger and stubbornness but we know that if we're willing to submit to the process that God wants to do in us, that he can bring about some really incredible results. How have you seen that transforming work happening in the ministry that you're involved in now with Celebrate Recovery? One of the really great things about Celebrate Recovery as a step process is that I don't have to accomplish it all at once. So hmm. if... Um, if I'm struggling with this feeling like maybe God's leading me in a direction I really don't want to go that way, it seems too difficult. The great thing about Celebrate Recovery is I only have to take that first step. Mm. And um, it's not something that I have to accomplish all at once. And so that's why we like to use the phrase, "I'm." we identify ourselves not based on our past failures or hurts or struggles that we went through, we identify ourselves first as a believer in Christ. Mm. And then it 
we make it okay to say who still struggles with. So I might say I'm a believer in, hi, my name is Danny. I'm a believer in Christ who still struggles with alcohol, drugs, and anger. Well, I haven't used alcohol or drugs for more than 36 years, but I feel no shame whatsoever to remember that there was something in my life that dragged me down to the point where I was an addict. Mm. So it's okay to say that there are parts inside of me that are not so okay. It's okay for me to face that darkness Mm. and to face the good things that God created in me too, and to kind of be a more whole and integrated person that way, having faced those demons that are inside of me. So it makes it okay in Celebrate Recovery for that person to say, you know, maybe maybe God is leading me in this direction, and, and I want to be angry about it, and I don't want to submit to the work that he has for me, but it's really okay for me to struggle with that. Mm. And I don't have to do that alone. I can open up about that. I can be open about the struggle that I am angry. This, you know, the hurts and the circumstances that I went through, or how someone else hurt me. It is something that my first feeling is stubbornness, hmm. you know, towards the will of God. My first feeling is I don't want to do that and don't want to go that that direction. But just by sharing that with with other people. And making that the first step and not denying that or stuffing that or saying that's not the good Christian language. And I can't go into church and talk like that, that I don't want to do God's will today. Mm. But in reality, that's the very thing that I need to do. And Celebrate Recovery is that place where it's it's okay to not be okay. And to be able to talk about that and take the edge off of that and um, not let it be something stuffed or denied inside of me. And then um, to have those great relationships like sponsors and accountability partners that um, that w- get to know me personally and, and know that um, on a more intimate level the things that I struggle with and how I stuff my anger and and, uh, and don't wear my feelings on my sleeves, but you know, but I hide it on the inside and hmm. and um, and so the people that know me more intimately that way. Um, it makes it easy me, for me to draw back the curtains to be myself and talk about my struggle. And it seems uh, that old saying that a burden sh- shared is a burden halved. So whatever struggles I might have to do the thing God is calling me to do that I feel stubborn about today by sharing it, it takes the edge off of that. And, um, and working with other people makes the next step uh, in Celebrate Recovery easier. We're, we're going to take the next step. Yeah. <laughs> but at least I, I get to know that today I just have to take one step. Yeah. Wow, that, that's extremely helpful. I think we normally look at journeys and we get intimidated by them or mm-hmm. we freak out because it just looks like there's such a tall mountain to climb. Mm-hmm. But to think in terms of just what's the step I can take now? What's mm-hmm. the step for today? Yeah, what's the next best decision? Huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so what are some ways that your story that you have seen, I should say, what are some ways personally, that you've seen your story invest and help you invest in the lives of others? In fact, last night I got to go to a prison outside of Bakersfield and share my story. There were about uh, 30 men there that were getting ready to start Celebrate Recovery inside their facility. Mm -hmm. And whether I share on the inside or, you know, share at group level or with a mom whose son is in prison or whose son is struggling with addiction, when I share my personal story, 
and experience, it gives people hope. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it astounds me because I know how I still struggle. Mm. And I look at my past and it's glaring that there are massive failures along the way. And so when I look at myself, it's hard for me to see how that could so impact other people. Mm. But um, it has been my experience over and over and over that just by opening up and being honest about what I went through and how God brought me out of that, it gives people hope. Yeah. And so that's one of those things, like you mentioned uh, earlier, it's one of those things I could be stubborn about. I'm not sure if that's what I want to happen, mm-hmm. but it is what happens. And so I, I feel the, um, the open door in front of me and a little nudge at my back to continue sharing, being vulnerable, being open about my story and uh, what I went through because somebody feels hope from that. And that was my experience last night with that group mm. of inmates in that prison. Mm. Um, one, a- one by one, after I shared my story, they came up, shook my hand, and I could see the change in their eyes mm. from when I first met them at the beginning of the night. They, the feeling of hope that they're gonna be able to leave that prison, and that every single one of them are gonna leave that prison. Um, they're beginning Celebrate Recovery now, and they heard from my story the confidence that when they left that prison, they're going to be able to find a church, they're going to be able to find a Celebrate Recovery on the outside and be warmly welcomed. Mm-hmm. And that that hope encouraged all of them. Yeah. What I love, too, is your, is your story is, is beyond just the fact of prison and beyond addiction. It's really, it's, it's, it's taking it's, or it's, it's understanding that, that your life is more than just maybe one thing that happened is, is your life isn't defined by one Mm -hmm. moment. And just on a a personal level is, um, we've been working on uh, a course on the purpose driven life. Mm -hmm. And one of those, uh, parts of that course, it's toxic. It's asked the question of what, drives your life. Mm-hmm. And in, in the book, Pastor Rick talks about how people often find themselves um, that their lives have been driven by guilt or resentment or fear or shame. Mm-hmm. But really what should be driving our lives is purpose and hope in, in God. Mm-hmm. And so when we were designing this course, I immediately thought of you and your story. Mm-hmm. And we had you come in and film a, a, a video for us last week. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, in just to encourage people that no matter where they are, if there's if they have been stuck in something mm-hmm. that has happened in their past, stuck in their past, mm-hmm. and they feel like that's just what has defined the rest of their life and sticking with them, is you have the story of saying, no, God is bigger than this thing that happened, whatever mm-hmm. it is, mm-hmm. and God's purpose for you is beyond that. Your his he's not done with your story. Your story didn't end when whatever that is is sticking you in the past mm-hmm. happened. Mm-hmm. Your story his story continues for your life. And mm-hmm. so I'm really excited as we roll out that course mm-hmm. that that to have these have people that whatever they are bringing into that time mm-hmm. in as they sit in that class and watch that video that they can hear even just a few minutes of your story. Mm-hmm. And I think that is a part of that investment in mm-hmm. people's lives is it moves even beyond what you can imagine 
because your because your story will reach so many so many mm-hmm. more people than you'll ever see face to face. I I am so glad to hear that from you, and that um, my biggest hope is that it would inspire hope in each person that mm-hmm. sees it, hears it, or hears this podcast. That our circumstances um, that they don't have to be what um, drives our feeling of who we are, whether bad things happen to us or whether we did bad things, um, that there is a new spiritual life on the inside of me. And that new spiritual life um, is really how God sees us and where I can begin to live my life step by step and faith by faith, taking steps of faith to live out um, who that spirit on the inside of me is and uh, sharing that that love and sharing that hope with other people. Hmm. It just, I mean, it excites me and it makes me feel so like, it just kind of inspires praise, honestly, because I just think, man, it, it's an incredible work that God is doing. And we've experienced your your story firsthand at Saddleback. I mean, hearing you share your your story at Easter a couple of years ago mm-hmm. with tens of thousands of people, I mean, mm-hmm. that's a message of hope that's been heard by so many. God mm-hmm. is, is magnifying your impact and he's, he's using your past in a redemptive way now. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's just such an incredible picture of the way that God brings beauty out of ashes and, mm-hmm. and flips flips the script in our lives. Mm-hmm. And we should say, a, a lot of people that are listening probably hadn't heard your entire story, and they heard the mm-hmm. first part at the beginning, but mm-hmm. they may be thinking, okay, so how is he here talking to me now? He said he oh, was, yeah. uh, you know, mm-hmm. sentenced to 50 years, 50 years to life, life or whatever. <laughs> so how are you, know, so just quickly, if you can just finish that part of the story up till now. <laughs> How in the world, if he had 50 years to life, could he not only be out, but also a pastor at Saddleback Church? It's, <laughs> I'm, I don't know. Let's, let's talk about that. Yeah. Are, you, are you still trying to get your head around that yourself? <laughs> I'm always trying to give my head around that. Um, well, obviously I believe it's because of that day, November 7th, 1982, when I was in the county jail at the age of 18 years old and gave my life to Christ. Mm-hmm. And that was the day um, that things changed. And then um, because of the people that I've shared that uh, continued to mentor and help me throughout the year. So that was November 7, 1982, when I was still in the county jail and then lived that out throughout my entire time inside. At that time, there was not a possibility that I would be paroled. I mean, legally, Mm -hmm. there was the possibility, but the situation in California prisons with lifers, um, they just did not get out. Sure. So I never expected to be paroled. Um, As it turns out, um, 32 years later, when I did come up for parole, the entire lifetime on the inside was spent serving Christ. Mm -hmm. And it's not that I intended any any official to look at that and to take it into consideration, but there was... um, you know, multiple three, over three decades of um, of positive reviews in my files and um, people that I knew and and the many people that would have supported me. Well, one of those groups of people were is the community of Saddleback Church and Pastor Rick Warren because in two thousand and three, when the Purpose Driven Life was um, was a number one bestseller, we. Um, were allowed to do the Purpose Driven Life as a group inside the prison where I was at. And we had over 200 men sign up 
to be part of the purpose-driven life, and then 180 of them completed it. <laughs> and when Saddleback Church heard about that, uh, Pastor Rick decided he wanted to come see that prison <laughs> and brought Pastor Holiday and at that time Pastor Steve Rutenbar and Pastor David Sean and um, the senior pastors mm-hmm. of Saddleback Church all came into that prison and had a large yard event. And myself and a few other leaders had already gone through the Purpose Driven Church training. And so we determined that um, we were going to structure our church based on the Purpose Driven Church model. And so Pastor Rick and the staff and local, uh, some local Christians that, uh, from churches that supported us, as well as the warden, supported us in planning a purpose-driven church on the inside. Hmm. And um, so I connected with Saddleback Church at that time. I was later told that Pastor Rick uh, told his staff, hey, we need to hire that guy. Yeah. <laughs> and um, my, my boss, Pastor John Baker, who was there as well, mm-hmm. uh, turned and said, well, there's just one problem, Rick. He has two life sentences. He's never getting out. Yeah. Well, uh, some 12 years later, when I did see the parole board and they were considering whether I would be suitable for release, uh, Pastor Rick did write a letter and, um, and a lot of support letters came in as well. And uh, he, his letter was very important because he said, well, if you let him out, we'll hire him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I was able to share, you know, that, um, that sense of community, uh, having a community that would welcome you, that you would have a, not just a career, but a vocation and a calling and a purpose in life um, was pretty important um, for me to, to share with the, with the, California Parole Board, as well as with the governor's office, all that review mm-hmm. uh, these cases and scrutinize them in detail. So it was pretty important for me to have that sense of connection even before I stepped out. And mm-hmm. I think it was important to the parole board as well. I still remember the service when you were first joining staff and Pastor Rick brought you out on stage and, mm-hmm. and shared your story and in the church just... Mm-hmm. Every service, just mass standing ovation, just mm-hmm. just loving on you. I just that was a it's such a cool memory and cool yeah. moment. I'm feeling it right now. Yeah. It. yeah, it was overwhelming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, we love that moment. That that's a historic moment for Saddleback. We, it was powerful. Uh, let's t- let's talk about a a verse maybe that sticks out that's kind of propelled you forward over the years. Is there any verse that you've kind of stood on and gained support from? Well, of course, I have to go immediately to 2 Corinthians 5.17, that if any anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old mm-hmm. things have passed away. All things have become new. And, of course, that's um, very important for me. You would think I would pull up all kinds of uh, scriptures like uh, return to your fortress, prisoners of hope. <laughs> I announced that I will restore twice as much to you and all the passages that talk about how God sets prisoners free. But um, really... The scripture that says that you are a new creation is the very message that got through to me the most Hmm. when people shared the love of God with me. Because um, my life was over, my sense of what life was about partying and, and having all of these external possessions was completely turned upside down when I was arrested. And it, it, uh, life, as I understood it, was over. And so the message of having a new start based on something on the inside is um, it continues to be 
one of the most important messages to me that uh, as I think about myself and as I look across the table and think about you guys, I'm able to conceive that you are, and I am, um, we are spirits that we have souls and we live in these bodies mm -hmm. and we happen to have circumstances in our life. So it really drove home the point to me when I was very young, still a teenager at that time, that my life and who I am is really all about uh, this spirit mm. and the spiritual life that's on the inside of me and that I could begin to live my life um, by faith can't because I can't see it smell it touch it feel it and all of that but I can live my life and take steps of, of faith and um, make decisions and move and operate and live in life from this inside perspective and mm. so that's why that that mm. passage continues to be very important. We're new creations in Christ, meaning that we are um, we are a new recreated spirit on the inside. Mm. And so the old things, what I used to be, a drug addict and a, a criminal and someone who didn't care about other people, those things have passed away. All things have become new. Mm. Yeah, love that. Let's talk about uh, a doable action step, shall yeah. we? Yeah, so Danny, this is Doable Discipleship, so we always end with with a doable or two. What is, what is one step of surrender that a listener can take today that no matter where they are, and that was, that's a big theme of this episode, it doesn't matter if you're in prison or not, um, what is one step of surrender that a listener can take today to give God first place in their life? So, of course, i got to promote Celebrate Recovery. Please do, yeah, <laughs> sure. So uh, Celebrate Recovery is a great place. It, um, interesting that the majority of those going to Celebrate Recovery are not for drugs and alcohol. It's for the much worse things, what's happening on the inside mm. that drove, drive me to drugs and alcohol or, or to the other things that drive me. So um, the great first step that anyone can take, whether you're at a Celebrate Recovery meeting or just you know sitting by yourself in your house is to come out of denial and that's our first step is um, just recognizing that there's a, a deep inside of me there's something that does not want to do that first step mm -hmm. i don't want to <laughs> do the right thing all the time yeah and so just being able to take that first step um to me is one of the biggest acts of surrender that i can do and i I get to say yes to God in that coming out of denial and admitting what's going on inside of me, that um, our, our first um, statement in Celebrate Recovery is realize that I'm not God and that I'm powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing. And so by myself, when I say yes to God, I don't have to do it by myself. So that's, that's the seems to me that best doable action step if i'm struggling to do the will of god or if i'm struggling to surrender or if i'm just struggling with things in general i can take that first step and and just say i'm struggling mm -hmm. and just say this is a hard spot or god i'm not sure if i you know if i can do the thing that you're asking me to do and just taking that first step and not denying it, not stuffing it, not holding it inside, um, whether it's fear or anger or resentments or whatever the thing is that, um, that I would try to bottle up, just being able to come out with it 
and admit the struggle that I'm having is a huge first step. And the good thing about that is that it's almost, it's not quite a yes, I will do it, God. It's not quite to that level. That's step three in <laughs> Celebrate Recovery. But at least it it opens you up to the grace of God at that moment. Mm -hmm. Because uh, what our experience is, is that even when I come out and I'm honest with God about who I am, he doesn't turn his back to us. Mm -hmm. In fact, the more true and authentic and open I am about the feelings and the struggle that I'm having inside of me, the more likely it is he's going to send somebody across my path that, uh, that can show me his love or, or he can give me the grace in that moment to take the next step. Mm. So for me, such a, what a great doable action step no matter where we're at in our life, is just be able to admit um, the struggle that I'm having in the middle of it. Mm. That's a great word. Yeah. Thank you, man. Danny, thanks so much for making time for us today. Absolutely. Yeah, really, I really, really know sweet. it was going to be so fun. <laughs> <laughs> we try to have fun on the show. Yeah. <clears throat> Everybody, thanks so much for listening. We will talk to you again next Tuesday. If you enjoyed this episode, consider giving us a rating or a review on iTunes. If you do, you'll help other people find us in the future. You can also listen to these episodes on YouTube. Subscribe to the Saddleback Church YouTube channel for these conversations, plus lots of video content. And if you're already listening to us on YouTube, subscribe to the Doable Discipleship Podcasts on Apple Podcasts or your favorite app, so you can listen in the car or wherever else you go. Don't forget to visit saddleback.com slash doable to check out all our previous episodes. And go to saddleback.com slash grow to find spiritual growth resources and view a calendar of upcoming events. Lastly, you can always get in touch with us by emailing maturity at saddleback.com. Send us your thoughts, send us your questions, your Bible questions, your life questions, whatever. Who knows? Your question just might inspire an upcoming episode. Thanks again for tuning in to Doable Discipleship. I'm Doug Jones, and I hope you'll join us again next week. Thank you.